of the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Wednesday the 27th. You are tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Warner. Joining me on location down in Charleston is Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone is on vacation, although we will be hearing from Parker Stone here towards the end of the show. But, Luke, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. I'm having a good time down here in Charleston with TBT and having a good time in the hotel room here. And excuse my unprofessionalism, I woke up about five minutes ago. Oh, um, but uh, I'm I'm very very happy to be joining you. Well, you were down. You've been down there watching all these uh, college alumni games. It's taking you back to your college ways, sleeping in right before class. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I. Basically, all four years of college, I didn't have to wake up before like <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning at at the earliest. So you're right. Just going back to the way things were. Man, I wish I could sleep in past like seven o'clock anymore. Ugh. Until we get to the weekend, I'm like, man, I'm gonna sleep into like nine o'clock, ten o'clock or something. Nope. Gets to Saturday and six thirty. Ugh. I'm wide awake. But like uh, we're saying, you are down in Charleston. TBT, the biggest, the the premier matchup. I'd say a TBT history almost was last night between Heard That and Best Virginia. Of course, the West Virginia alumni team and the Marshall alumni team. It was a packed house down at the Civic Center, and they saw a pretty good game. West Virginia ended up coming up out on top uh, handedly, winning in the uh, Elam Elam ending. They had to get to 88, I believe. But uh, it looked like it was just a uh, matter of West Virginia was hitting all their shots, and they, uh, well, tightened up on defense when they needed to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think this ended up being a little bit more of a competitive game than everybody thought, especially based on how uh, really West Virginia started to run away with this game in the second quarter. It's a 10-point final, uh, but they were hitting shots that heard that just couldn't match. And credit where credit is due to them and the way they were coached, Odd Elmore III, you know, he mixed in some zone, and we could talk about it more mm-hmm. maybe a little bit later on in the show, but he did some things to keep West Virginia off balance. And what a performance by John Elmore. You know, he's not the most efficient shooter in this tournament, um, but that has a lot to do with the amount of ball pressure that he was seeing. But 16 points, 11 assists for him to keep heard that in the game. They go on a run once they went into the Elam ending and really cut the deficit down uh, to single points at some point. Um, and made things just a little bit nerve-wracking. But at the end of the day, cooler heads prevailed. John Flowers had a heck of a night, as did Kevin Jones. And I think it was really the perfect recipe for the game that everybody uh, wanted for TBT, besides the Heard That fans. Of course, there are 4,500 people there at the Civic Center, which is the fifth-highest-attended TBT game ever. And with all due respect to Heard That, I I think it's fair to say that the best team won, Mm -hmm. and it sets up a very good matchup today, tonight, in the final of this regional between Best Virginia and the Bucketeers with a shot at Dayton in the line and the Elite Eight on their quest for a million dollars. Yeah, you could tell from the fans in the uh, Civic Center that this was a matchup that uh, West Virginia and Marshall fans have been waiting for a long time. And I think it probably really was the best kind of uh, scenario for it because you have the best players that have been you know, from either school really in the last, what, 
10, 15 years, I guess, at this point. Uh, so you're getting to see pretty much an all-star game. Uh, and that's West Virginia Marshall, and it's for you know a big reason. So they're going to play hard. So I think it was pretty much the perfect situation for it. But yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more. We got uh, Kevin Jones interview. KJ, man. He's been he's been fun to watch in this TBT. Take me back to my uh, to my college days, that's for sure. But let's get back to a little local sports here. Uh, Berkeley Post fourteen. They started their state championship or state tournament run just yesterday, but unfortunately, they had a little bit of a uh, tough one on their hands, didn't they? Yes, they did. Andrew Manley was a starter for Parkersburg and was phenomenal, going six and a third in that one. He gives up two runs late, but it was just an absolute buzzsaw for Berkeley post-14, who just couldn't score, couldn't string together hits, and they rally late, but it really just wasn't enough. It was a well-pitched game through five. Parkersburg scores all four of their runs in the bottom of the fifth inning to kind of crack things open. Uh, and again, Berkeley tries to rally late, but they just weren't unable to. And, you know, that's just kind of what happens when you play in a state tournament like this one. Every team has got their guy has got Mm -hmm. their ace and Andrew Manley certainly going to be playing in college so you saw the best punch right away we had this conversation uh, about the Hedgesville Little League softball team we were talking about okay it's a double elimination tournament you kind of get that loss out of the way you try to reassess yourself in the losers bracket and I'm sure that's what Berkeley's going to do in this situation however they're matched up against a, a, a talented Bridgeport team that has a lot of chemistry and knows how to play well together so it's not easy But I said coming into this that Berkeley was in the upper half, I would say, of teams when it comes to uh, competitors, legitimate competitors to win the thing. So I know they're not going to go quietly into the night as they match up today with Bridgeport at 1 o'clock. I mean, it was just one inning that really hurt uh, post-14 just last night. I mean, they out-hit them 8-4, to four, but then in the fourth inning was where all four runs from Parkersburg uh, came up. So you take out that one bad inning, then who knows what happens uh, as you continue on. But Parkersburg, uh, they were a tough task coming into this game with that win. It's uh, their 30th win on the season, which in Legion baseball, especially around West Virginia, that's a pretty, uh, pretty high watermark to hit. Yeah, that's special. And uh, another thing we talked about yesterday is, frankly, in, in, in terms of the entirety of the state, Legion baseball is really declining in West Virginia. And it's mm-hmm. a bit of a concern for people like me that love Legion. But you look at the teams in the field this year, especially knowing that two of them are going to represent West Virginia in that mid-Atlantic regional because Morgantown Post 2 is the host. While there aren't really 25, 30 established programs in the state, you're looking at this tournament and you see six really legitimate squads. We know how good Berkeley County is. This is just the second second game they've lost in July. Morgantown Post 2 has two collegiate pitchers. Parkersburg obviously showed how they win games yesterday with a well-pitched game by Manley and the offense to back it up there in the fifth inning. But Cannon was supposed to be the worst team of the tournament. They're 13-7. They go out and beat Morgantown yesterday. Bridgeport, again, is made up of a high school team that's created one of the greatest high school dynasties uh, in the history of high school baseball. And South Charleston draws more talent than anybody else in the state because there's like 12 high schools down here (laughs) to pick kids from. So while Legion Baseball as a whole, the product is suffering, the area tournaments aren't as big as they used to be, there's six very good teams here, uh, represented obviously, led the way obviously by Parkersburg, who like you said, won their 30th game yesterday. Yes, you never know what's going to happen in these state tournaments, especially when it comes uh, down to Legion. But looking uh, at Berkeley Post 14, a couple of other 
notables here. Colin Reed, he had a pair of doubles. Braden Hartman had two hits, including a double. And Jack Risenweber also doubled as well. So they were getting their hits. They just couldn't quite uh, string them together, like you were saying. And you just take out that fourth inning. Then uh, with, I mean, leading in hits eight to four, I mean, that bodes that they uh, probably would have been able to take the lead at some point if they'd uh, you know, just been able to get out of that fourth inning. But they will continue on uh, post-14 to play Bridgeport again, uh, like Luke said, today at one o'clock. Bridgeport, like you said, lost uh, 9-4 to to South Charleston. So it'll be interesting to see, especially how this Bridgeport team can uh, kind of bounce back, but especially this Berkeley team. Like you said, I mean, man, it seems like they played a pretty good game, except for just one inning. Yeah, and it's important that you brought up, I'm a big fan of Hartman watching him play. He caught yesterday, and he's in the bottom of the lineup. And your seventh hitter, uh, with two hits, and Bob behind him as well, uh, with a hit in the game as well. Hartman drives in a run. Berkeley's at their best when they get production up and down the lineup, mm-hmm. and they did yesterday. But like you said, it just wasn't about stringing hits together. Uh, poor batting average with runners in scoring position that will have to change today uh, as they still see a pretty talented pitching staff from Bridgeport. But obviously that's the key. You get production top to bottom because we know – Ryzen Weber, Reed, more the guys at the top of the lineup uh, for Berkeley 14, post 14, what they can do. But when you look at Stottlemyre and Hartman and Herndon down to the bottom of this lineup, if they can produce as well, then this team's unstoppable. So we've got a few minutes before we got to get to our first break here, but uh, I want to go back to talking about TBT a little bit. Uh, what do you think the fan split was? I mean, it was down in Charleston, so naturally down towards the Marshall end of the state. But as you know, West Virginia's umbrella covers all of uh, the state of West Virginia. So what was the split there? I feel like I heard a lot more, uh, a lot more um, let's go Mountaineers than we are's. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that Marshall fans really struggled with continuity of cheers that the WVU fans didn't have a problem with. I would say about 65-35 WVU fans to Marshall, but it was just it, – it's so tough, and there's really no way to rectify this like there is in soccer. I think it would be better for TBT if they kind of had supporter sections yeah. because it was Marshall fans sprinkled in and around WVU fans who, you know, for the most part were well-behaved – Obviously, there are a couple of incidents yesterday, but for the most part, we're pretty well-behaved Mountaineer fans, but they were a lot louder. They had a lot more to cheer for earlier, and they were just kind of able to get the foothold of the atmosphere, and it doesn't hurt that the Mountaineer was there, and the WVU alumni band was there as well, (laughs) and Best Virginia is technically... The host team now, uh, people wondering why I'm down here. I'm in charge of the music. I try to keep the music neutral. Um, but I, I heard a country roads host, at the there's end. a lot of things. Yes, yeah, so that, that's that's exactly. Exactly. We you have to play country roads. You just have to play country roads. That's that's very cool, by the way. That I get I, all I do is push a button, but to get everybody to put their arms around each other and sing country roads, it's a good time. But um, I, I would say it was predominantly best Virginia fans. Uh, 65-35, like I said, there was a, a kind of a loud Marshall contingency when they started to storm back towards the end of the second quarter. Um, but both fan bases were well represented. And like I said, with a, just a few minor blowups, both fan bases were very well behaved and created a really good atmosphere. I saw the Wichita Regional Final on ESPN the other night, mm-hmm. and there were more people there. But I think the atmosphere was significantly better in Charleston. Oh, yeah. This was the matchup. Everybody that uh, has been following TBT has really been looking for. I mean, in-state, two big schools, two good basketball programs coming up against each other with all their pretty much their all-star teams. Uh, it was definitely something that a lot of people were looking into. And speaking of uh, Marshall, uh, the Elmore guy, had never heard of him until two days ago. And he was pretty fun to watch. I mean, he had that one behind-the-back pass. I mean, yeah, they were down like 20 at the time. Yeah. But he had that one behind-the-back pass that was pretty special to watch. And... um 
Yeah, well, speaking of uh, Elmore, uh, there's a lot of drama, which I definitely missed. You let me know about all that, but we'll start talking a little TBT drama after the break here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Joining me from Charleston is Luke Wiggs and uh, Parker's somewhere on the beach uh, down in North Carolina. We'll be hearing from <laughs> him on the beach here after a little while. He sent us our pick. He sent us in his picks, and uh, well, he definitely made sure to make sure he was on the beach while he did that. So uh, we'll be hearing from Parker a little bit later on during the show. But uh, I want to go back and talk a little bit more about the uh, Berkeley Post 14 matchup because um, Luke, you were able to secure a little uh, conversation with the head coach. Yeah, absolutely, and credit the kind folks at Metro News, Dave Wilson, who called the game yesterday, and Kyle Wiggs, who helped with the interview, to talk to Trip Tobin. By the way, uh, before we play the clip, uh, anybody that's interested in listening to that Berkeley post-14 game today can do so uh, on the Post 2 Twitter page, Facebook page, uh, on WVMetroNews.com. There's going to be links all over the place if you want to hear it when they play at 1 p.m. There's video as well through Game Changer, but i got to be honest with you, it's a smartphone on a mm-hmm. stick, and it has no sound, so I would <laughs> stick with the radio. And you can find links, and we'll retweet it from uh, our uh, Panhandle, sport, our panhandle uh, Twitter account as well, so you're able to listen to that if you want to. But special thanks to Kyle Wiggs, who was able to talk to uh, – Berkeley Post 14 manager Trip Tobin after the game. Yeah, we just need to get the bats going. We've been offensive all year long, and uh, it was surprised that we didn't put more runs on the board against uh, that young man. We have never seen him all year. You know, we played a lot of games, but never played Parkersburg twice, but never seen that young man. And you know, he throws the ball well. He's 10 and 0 now. He's 11 and 0, and so you know, hats off to him for keeping us off the bases. And he got out of a couple of jams. And, you know, what can you say? Yeah, you had some chances early. That's the thing. I guess that kind of set the tone the way he was kind of able to wiggle off the hook. Yeah, I mean, we didn't, uh, like we were just talking, walking up through there, we didn't have any, you know, good. We had first, I think we had men on first and third and nobody out. We let off a couple innings with some base hits, uh, got him in scoring position, wasn't able to uh, have a good uh, quality at bat to get him across, uh, you know, pop out to the infield, ground out to second base, just didn't get it done. All right, so Andrew Manley was their starter. What? made him effective what did you see that he was doing well well he just mixes his pitches well you know when he came back through the second time he, he wasn't afraid to throw curveball curveball he could throw his curveball for a strike he could throw it out of the zone you know he didn't he didn't paint the uh, middle of the plate much with his fastball he would get ahead and then he would force you to uh, extend the plate a little bit and you know he, th- he didn't uh, he he just had a really uh, good way of mixing it up and keeping us from barreling the ball up much and then you know, we did hit a couple of balls hard and happened to be right at them and uh, just kind of took the life out of us a bit and you give them some life. And I think today they were just wound up playing loose and, uh, you know, hats off to them for coming in here after we beat them twice and having that kind of life and uh, just playing extremely loose. And uh, they're a good ball team. They fight. And they, they, they are, they're good together. And, uh, you know, their team unity over there shows well. We see them in the motel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they're going to be a hard team to beat. All right. Well, your team, you fall behind 4 nothing, and you show some late life. So that's encouraging the fact that you battle all the way to the end. Yeah, I told her. I don't think we're out of it by any means. I, I think uh, I think we're going to grow up a lot here in the next couple of days. You know, I look for our guys to bounce back, have a little chip on their shoulder. You know, I think they may have, I mean, sometimes in the season when you play a team and, and you beat them two times in a row, you kind of uh, let your guard down and uh, 
and uh, I think maybe maybe even overlook them, even though the coaching staff preached not against it. But you know, they're 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 young, and uh, you know they felt like that they could they could come out here and win that game, and uh, and uh, Parkersburg showed up. So now we have to play with a little chip on our shoulder, play elimination baseball, and we'll uh, we'll see how deep our pitching staff yeah. is and how much guts we have. That's the last question. What are your pitching plans for tomorrow? Yeah, well, we got Brad. You know, we still are, except for Jason Myers, we're still we have plenty of pitching. I'm not too worried about. You know the pitching. Um, you know Stottle Myers, good to go. So you know we didn't get uh, just a couple pitches out of um, out of Dylan Stevens, a couple out of Ruest, and you know we still have a lot of guys in the uh, in the old bullpen down there. So I feel like we're not not in. We could certainly be in a lot better place, but I feel like that we're not in a in a terrible place at the moment. All right, Coach Joe. Good luck tomorrow. All right, thank you. And that was Metro News' Kyle Wiggs talking uh, with Berkeley Post 14 manager Trip Tobin. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely get to find out what kind of uh, what kind of uh, medal your team has once you go down. You lose your first game, your back's against the wall, and you're going to have to play a team you know that has the well the background like Bridgeport does. Yeah, hundred percent. Really, the only other thing I'll add to it because I, I think he put it really well about his team just not capitalizing on opportunities that they need to capitalize today. Uh, I haven't gotten to see Myers pitch much, but the two of the times that I've watched Berkeley post fourteen play, it's been Stoudemire on the mound, and I think he's phenomenal. So if there's anybody that can stifle a very talented Bridgeport lineup, it's him. If he ends up starting today, I'm a big fan of the way he mixes up his pitches, and uh, I think he gives them a very, very good chance to succeed. So let's get into uh, a little bit more in-depth TBT talk. We've talked about it a little bit uh, earlier in the show, but again, Best Virginia beating Heard that 89-79, to second round of the TBT down in the Charleston. Well, I keep calling it Civic Center, but the Coliseum. Um, it's still the Civic Center to me. <laughs> yeah, I know, same. Uh, but, I mean, Best Virginia, they shot pretty much lights out, uh, 15 points. Uh, the team shot fifty, uh, nearly 50% from the field, 33 for 68. Uh, from the three-point line, they were uh, 11 for 23. I mean, listen, it doesn't matter what level you're at. If you are going up against a team that's shooting like that, they're going to be tough to beat. It doesn't matter you know, how many points you're scoring and how good your defense is. I mean, they, they, John Flowers was putting up shots last night that had no reason of going in that were just finding the bottom of the bucket every time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. When you shoot 47% from three, your opponent shoots 21% from three, not to mention you're 12 of 14 from the line at 85%, and heard that's just 10 of 17, that's 58%. And there were guys hitting shots, and I, I kind of joked about this, and everybody's picking on John Flowers because he's hitting shots that he didn't hit in college, and they're right, because if he would have been this good of a shooter in college, who knows what would have happened in that national game. champions. But yeah, exactly. But no, no offense to John. One of the things that I said in the article when we previewed the starting lineups is he is legitimately turned into a very, very, very good and efficient professional player. He's a very different player from how he was in college. And the same for Jermaine Haley. Uh, him and Flowers each have 17 points last night. Haley's two of two from three-point land in that one. Um, he's somebody else that has evolved as a shooter. He's gotten stronger. He can really play as that kind of stretch four, or that high post playmaking four that we wanted him to be in college, but it just never really came to fruition. So, you know, obviously it's uh, it's unfair to compare these guys to when they were 19 and 20 in college mm-hmm. and, you know, still kind of growing into themselves and their physique and whatever they're ever at six foot eight. Uh, they've really turned into mature and seasoned pros, and it was a good combination. I have to say that the rotations in the second and third quarter especially by James Long, were phenomenal. I really wasn't a fan of some of the lineups he was putting out there in the first game um, against Virginia Dream, but now it seems as though this team is finding a rhythm. They're starting to figure out how to play with Devin Ebanks. Kevin Jones can – if he's – 
10 feet away with back to the basket, he's somebody that can get you a bucket because yep. he's a really, really, really talented isolation scorer. And you've got great dribble penetration from Jawan Staten. Um, and Tavon Myers, who's been the surprise of this tournament because he was one of the last players added to the roster. So there was just too much talent overall and too many guys able to hit shots uh, for Best Virginia. You know, there were some ill-advised shots that were taken by Hurd. That and John Elmore took a few, but he has the right to do that yeah. as talented as he is. You look at their half-court sets, and that was really the difference. The, the shots that Hurd that were settling for were nowhere near as efficient looks as Best Virginia, and a lot of that had to do with the Best Virginia defense. So I said it again. I said it in the first segment. I'll say it again. The best team definitely won, uh, but both teams had a very good chance. Both teams were competitive, but there's just a little bit too much talent on that Best Virginia sideline that pushed them to the the, uh, championship game today. Yeah, definitely old habits die hard. Go figure. A West Virginia University-based team wins a game because they had good defense, right? Go figure. I'm so I kind of <laughs> thought that they were uh, they should change their name to Press Virginia instead of West Virginia, and then go out in a tournament like this and play full court press the whole time. They would. If they had the you know athletic ability you know at their age whatever the conditioning to do that they would win this tournament uh, easy. But speaking of John Flowers, if you followed him on Twitter for you know ever since his college days, you know that he likes to stir the pot. Uh, I, I say I would say a little bit, but a lot. Um, yeah, he's a great Twitter follower, especially back in the day. But uh, I don't know if you saw the quotes of him talking about before this herd that game. Uh, he said the herd don't have any alumni. Ott Elmore retired like five <laughs> years ago. We're gonna kill him now. I won't. Say that they killed him by you know totally I mean it was a 10 point win at one point I think they were up like 25 um, but I think this was the best part of this matchup I mean nothing was really got too bad I mean apparently John Elmore's uh, family might have gotten harassed a little bit in the stands by some fans last night um, which if that is the case that's not cool at all again it's a you know rec league game at its bare or at the bare bones of it but I love that you know these two teams these two you know, uh, communities have been getting together and kind of, you know, starting that rivalry back up in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the WEP, the Panhandle News Network stance is Mountaineer fans don't harass the Elmore's family. Uh, John came out after the game and said, man, my family was a little uncomfortable. They had to leave. You know, you could talk trash to me, but don't talk trash to them. So if that's the case, obviously we don't want to condone that kind of behavior. But removed from that, uh, I, I think that, the, the competitive nature between these two teams, a little bit of trash talking. And, and to be honest with you, the, the interactions, the rare interactions that they were having with fans, there were some – let's just – there are some fans sitting behind me in the stands with West Virginia gear on that uh, were a little bit more on the inebriated side. <laughs> and they were talking trash the whole game, and they would get into it jokingly with some of the players. You know, tuck your shirt in, the guy would turn around and wave at him and stuff like that. And that's perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, being that close to the, the players and getting to interact, talk a little bit of junk and make everybody laugh. I, I, I was a big fan of – the guy that said nothing but you've got nothing, Stevie, to Stevie Browning the entire game. <laughs> and then Browning hit a turnaround 15-footer, and right. he goes, okay, you got a little something, Stevie. You know, that that's absolutely perfect. And those comments by John Flowers were 100% in jest. Yes. You know, after the game was over and there was, you know, Elmore's were on Twitter saying, hey, don't talk about our families or things like that. And everybody said, hey, it's all love. And John said, to John, John Elmore said to John Flowers, it absolutely is, and we're rooting for you guys. You know, that, that, that's perfect. That's what this should be. Right. Guys talk a little bit of junk because Odd Elmore responded to John Flowers' comments and, you know, stick the knife in each other, play a little big brother, little brother, and have a little bit of fun, like I said, in jest. And it just helps build the atmosphere. Everybody knows it's in good fun. And, and the matchup was perfect because of it. You know, John Elmore loses, but he goes down swinging. Mm -hmm. And we had this conversation off the air. You know, you weren't 
uh, very familiar with his work. John Elmore, I'll be honest, as growing up a Mountaineer fan, I was not a fan of his in, the in college. I, I, the, the word punkish comes to mind. <laughs> but he's just turned into just this absolutely lovable character. Not only was he, he the most talented player in this regional, in my opinion, those 11 assists, especially that behind-the-back dime that you talked about earlier, but like a, a personality, he's all smiles. He's legitimately somebody that's just out there having an absolute blast. You know, you're playing an hour away from where you went to school, 4,500 people, and uh, about half of them are cheering for you. I mean, he, he was just making the most of it, and it's really fun to watch him play. And all in all, all the ingredients were there for this, save, of course, some, some fans that didn't know how to behave. Some, some really, really, really fun rivalry. Yeah, there's something about watching, uh, you know, these guys grow up and, you know, they start as kids, they leave as men, right? And then you kind of, you don't forget about them, but, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind as they go on to their, you know, professional nine to five jobs or if they go play professionally, uh, you know, play ball somewhere. But then when you get to see them come back and they got their kids, they look a little older, but they still, you know, in your head look like that 18, 19, 20 year old kid that was out there playing. And, uh, you know, you see those, see with rose colored glasses. So I think really when you break it down, that's the best part. Um, you know, of these alumni teams playing, you know, around where they are either from. I mean, with the Elmores, I think they're all from Charleston, right? So they're pretty much in their backyard playing. Uh, but you're back around your fans and things like that, which is pretty cool. But I want to play here uh, the post-game interview with Tony Caridi and John Flowers and a couple of the other guys, too, uh, talking about the game last night because it's uh, some pretty good stuff. Fantastic. You hit five three-pointers, five of seven overall, five of six from three, five boards. Wow. What do you mean, that's it? You had five of them. Could be better, man. Could be better, man. Just got to give me the ball a little bit more. <laughs> nah, man. It was a, the game was fun, man. Uh, that's what everybody's been waiting for for three years, man. We, I would love to do this with, with John Elmore, get, get those guys together and just do this without CBT. You know, it's, it's fun in here. Got the fans singing Country Rose. I haven't felt that feeling since college. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's a great feeling, man. I love it. What was the key when you talked about the X's and the O's? What were you guys able to do? that took that game over in that second quarter? What swung it? It was 15-15 after the first quarter. Yeah. Um, we just started making shots, you know, started running in transition, making shots, uh, playing solid defense, getting to our principles, talk, what we talked about in the, in, in the shoot-around with James, um, and we, we just executed. So we're not done yet. So Absolutely. And uh, give credit to her that that, not, that lead grew to 19 in the second quarter, and they yeah. battled right back. Yeah, they, they, they had a good team, man. They, they – um, you know, I was just talking trash in the media, but they're, they're a really good team. John Elmore is a, a hell of a player. Um, they had some good, they had some really good players on their team. So they told us to go win it all, man. So as long as we got one team uh, out of West Virginia that's representing West Virginia, you know what I mean? It's, it's always a good thing. Yeah. So did you look much at uh, Buccaneers, the team that won the first game? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of watch it with y'all, with you guys. I mean, you guys hit the nail right on the head. They're, they're scrappy, long, athletic. Um, they play hard. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fight. So I hope everyone comes out tomorrow and supports us tomorrow. So let's talk about that matchup that they have coming up with the Bucket Nears, uh, Luke, because I think this will probably be like you said in this matchup. I mean, I think there was more. I think there was more gray area because of just the rivalry than anything that Marshall or that heard that uh, could have probably you know kind of pipped. Uh, best Virginia but now that they're through that game for Best Virginia I think this could be probably a little bit tougher task than what people are uh, expecting 
Yeah, this is certainly the second best team in terms of talent in the regional. You could even say they're more talented than West Virginia, but uh, it's a very, very formulaic team in the bucket bucket nears. Excuse me. <laughs> They've got two dribble penetration guards in Desanta Bradford and Jalen Riley. You'll see them tonight wear number five and number eight. Uh, they're really, really, really good in isolation, and they put them in pick-and-roll situations with Isaac Banks, who's a really good pick-and-roll, pick-and-fade big, and Nick Ward as well. And they work really well in tandem, getting to the basket with ease and scoring. So it's like having two John Elmores on the court at the same time. They're not as good facilitators, but they can create space and get to the rim. And Desante Bradford, by the way, uh, obviously my allegiances lie with my alma mater in best Virginia and everything attached to WVU, but he's come over to me at the scores table before every game and had a conversation. He's just a fantastic guy and he's really happy to be here as well. He, he's a really good personality to be around, but this is going to be obviously a, a very tough matchup with the best guard play that best Virginia will have seen in this tournament and not to mention two traditional bigs. And I'll throw Courtney Pigram's name out there as well. He's number three. Uh, he's kind of like Lugans Dort in the NBA. He is a thick, powerful, strong six foot one guard. Uh, he can post up. He can get really physical with you on the offensive and defensive end. So it'll be interesting to see when you see Tavon Myers and Juwan Staten out there are both, you know, high pressure. They're like beehive guards, but they're very slender. You know, neither of them are really 160 pounds. How the Mountaineers are going to match up uh, with the Buccaneers because when they struggled against Virginia Dream, they had their defense to rely on to create offense for them and limit. And the same was the case yesterday in the Herd that game. They got stops when they were trying to figure things out offensively. They're not going to be able to stop the Buccaneers as easily. This could very well be... Uh, a first to 90 wins this game because I don't necessarily see either team stopping the other. Uh, I think this is going to be the most offensively minded game that best Virginia might have ever played, but I'm excited to see it. But again, keep an eye on five and eight for the Buccaneers, DeSanta Bradford um, and Jalen Riley as well, because they're going to carry the load and they're going to be the two players to watch um, as they match up with best Virginia today. All right. Quick answer. No bias. Who wins tonight? Best Virginia. Too many guys that can hit shots in this team, and I'm interested to see how the Buccaneers, who really don't play without a power forward, match up with Kevin Jones. I think there's just more talent from top to bottom on the Best Virginia side, but it's very, very close. Well, we'll see, and we'll have that Best Virginia game uh, right here on WPM and WCST tonight. So make sure you tune into that if you can't watch it on. It's on ESPN3 still, right? Yes. Okay, so if you, uh, if you can't watch on ESPN3, we'll have it for you right here on 93.7.1340 WEPM WCST. But we're going to continue talking WVU sports here after the break because, well, if uh, this doesn't make you feel old, Noel Devine's son is a college age now, uh, and he is a stud. And, uh, well, he might be a mountaineer. So stick around. We'll talk about that here after the break on Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Joining me on location in Charleston is Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone is still out on vacation. But we've been talking TBT, we've been talking Berkeley Post 14. 
And we're going to continue to talk a little bit WVU sports because Andre Devine just popped up at the West Virginia Football Skills Camp a few days ago. And, well, after a well, apparently pretty successful camp, they immediately offered him a scholarship. And Devine might uh, ring a bell to you because his dad is Noel Devine, the West Virginia great. I mean, we could go on and on talking about Noel Devine. But if you have you seen that video uh, yet of Andre Devine, Luke? Because uh, I'm going to tell you what, he looks like he could start right now for the Mountaineers. You know, I haven't yet. I was looking for it, but in my quest to try to find the video, I came across him uh, squatting 400 pounds, Ooh. and he's listed at five foot eight, 155. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't know how that happened. It was one of those lifts where it's there's so much, there's so many plates on it that the bar is bending, which I'll never get to in my entire life. I'm sure Parker will, mm. but <laughs> the, the, he he seems like he's a, a pretty great combination of size and or rather strength and speed. Not necessarily size, but that wasn't a problem for his dad. No, absolutely not. And yeah, you're right. I think Parker joined the West Virginia uh uh, weightlifting, powerlifting team right now if he uh, wanted to. But Andre Devine tweeted just the, other, just the other day, after a long talk with Coach Chad Scott, I am beyond blessed to receive an offer from West Virginia University. And then uh, prior to that, Noel Devine tweeted, great day to be a Mountaineer. God is great. WVU offered my son after camp today. And he looks like, um, Andre that is, uh, looks, I mean, basically he athletically a carbon copy of his dad, but like you said, a little bit more of a, a powerful kind of muscle hamster type frame, which I think translates almost perfect to this kind of uh, new age of college football that we have right now, especially because he'll probably be playing more of a slot receiver type of role once, once and if he gets to uh, Morgantown. Yeah, that's the thing. He's listed as a running back right now, but will he develop as a pass catcher out of the backfield or as a slot-wide receiver? Or maybe he'll just be an elite special teamer. The Mountaineers become his first Power 5 offer as it was Alabama A&M, Florida Atlantic, Bethune-Cookman, USF, UT Martin, and of course Marshall um, that had already kind of given him looks and given him mar- uh, offers coming into this point. And it's uh, a credit to Neil Brown, who's not only recruited the state so well, but he's recruited uh, alumni's kids. You know, Chris Henry, we saw Pac-Man Jones was on yep. campus uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Chris Henry's kid picked up an offer as well, one of the best receivers in program history. So it's good to see Neil Brown you know, kind of paying homage to the generations that came before him because Devine was here at a really important time in WVU's football's history. His uh, freshman season obviously was the year that uh, they were at the top of the national polls, unfortunately, before that season ended. So uh, right at the end of the Pat White era, and yeah. his last year he was uh, – the starting running back for a team that didn't feature Geno Smith, but Geno Smith was getting snaps in 2009 and uh, that era. So he was here through some really important football for WVU and uh, goes down as one of the best running backs in program history. And you never know if his son could be the same. And you won't know unless you offer him and you get him into your stable of horses. And uh, hopefully that's what happens. Well, you're right. And judging by the uh, kind of highlight video that I saw on Andre Devine, I think he could definitely fill those shoes, if not expand those shoes that his father, uh, you know, laid all those years ago. And you're right, man. Those uh, no- uh, Noel Devine, Steve Slayton, Geno Smith days, man, they were fun to watch. But I was looking at kind of some of Noel's Devine stats. So 728 carries, right? 4,315 yards. This is over his career. 29 touchdowns. He averaged six yards per carry. Then he also had a pretty good job coming out, uh, <laughs> p- catching passes. 98 Eight catches, 710 receiving yards, uh, and two touchdowns. So he definitely, uh, Noel or Andre's definitely got the uh, the DNA pedigree to uh, help him in his uh, football journey. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that, and I don't think Mountaineer fans realize this enough. 
There are so many kids, and I know it's a bit different with Andre Devine, obviously, because he already knows about this school with his mm-hmm. dad playing here. But there are so many guys that are on this football team right now that have talked about their interest in West Virginia peak because they grew up watching Pat White, Noel mm-hmm. Devine, Steve Slayton, and, and then later into that Geno Smith and the Tavon Austin era play. You know, I understand the Mountaineers have never won a national championship. I understand that they haven't spent a lot of time in the top five, but they've put out some electrifying teams and some electrifying players like Noel Devine that get TV time and young kids watch them play. You know, and to be honest with you, when you're a six-year-old kid and you don't even know what the BCS Bowl is, it's more exciting for you to watch Pat White run around. He was Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson. He was Kyler Murray before Kyler Murray. If he would have played 10 years later, he probably would have been the first pick in the draft. So these kids grew up watching these guys play, and they've got that in the back of their mind that I could be the next Noel Devine. I could be the next Kevin White. I could be the next Pat White. Uh, I could be the next Carl Joseph. And that's helped West Virginia recruiting more than I think Mountaineer fans realize. Uh, and it's the same in basketball as well with the John Beeline era and Kevin Pitsnoggle and Mike Ganzi and whatever, that mm-hmm. even though these teams don't win national championships, and I know that that's the ultimate goal, they've put footholds in the minds of young athletes that have watched them play and the exciting brand of football or basketball or baseball or whatever that they play and it's a recruiting tool that helps the Mountaineers later in life that people want to come in and be the next Pat White or Noel Devine. Yeah, man, those uh, that kind of stretch between what was it, like 07 and like 2011, 2012 of uh, West Virginia football teams were uh, electric to watch. Yeah, did they ever win the big game? No. <laughs> did they always, you know, uh, really come up short when they needed to come up big? Yes, but, you know, they definitely had the playmakers and the skill guys to go out there. I mean, Tavon Austin, those days, I mean, my goodness, yeah, they were a blast to watch. But speaking of Geno, and I thought that was interesting what you said, that, you know, ten, if he plays 10 years later, uh, he's probably never won pick because he was kind of in that weird era of college football where it was starting to really transition into the air raid and the spread offenses. But, um, you know, you didn't, you still had pocket quarterbacks. You still didn't have guys that were going to run around and create with their feet, except Geno was doing that. And I think he was a big reason why a lot of those teams, I mean, of course, being the quarterback, but he was a big reason a lot of those teams really were as exciting as they were because he was able to, you know, extend those plays and then you get the ball out to, you know, a Noah Devine, a Tavon Austin, those guys, and let them just electrify everybody and make uh, the defense look crazy. But speaking again, of Pat White, uh, another big or WVU quarterback. He's back in the NFL, of course. Very well uh, written and publicized how disappointing uh, Pat's pro career was. But he's uh, got linked up with the Washington Redskins or with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, rather, rather as uh, an offensive assistant. So, do you think this is a good spot for Pat White to lane? Think it's a good role for him? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. You know, he spent time at Campbell and some HBCUs and whatever as an offensive assistant. I know Mountaineer fans wanted to see uh, his name get called when Neil Brown was looking for a new OC or a passing game coordinator, and he's not ready for that jump yet. But he's a very intelligent player and played a very unique style of football that's more fitting to the modern quarterback in terms of extending plays, reading plays in the pocket. So he's somebody that you'd really love to have mentor young quarterbacks and work in your passing game and work in your running game and develop. And you think about the players, or rather the coaches, that he was around when he was here. The late Calvin McGee, of course, was his offensive coordinator. And not to mention Rich Rodriguez, who was his head coach, Mm -hmm. uh, and Bill Stewart, who was the special teams coordinator and was also a coach on that staff the minds that he was around there the minds he was around when he was a Miami Dolphin for a brief period of time uh, the the knowledge he was able to soak up he's a really intelligent player and he's now going to be a very intelligent coach and it would not surprise me to see him 
move up through the NFL and or college ranks as time goes on and maybe even return to his alma mater. So I think it was a very good hire, and I think he's a very, very special coach. Man, I wanted him to be so much more successful in the NFL. I wanted that so bad for him, but when he was with the Jets there for a while, man, oof, that was uh, that was tough to watch there for, what was it, like I think just a season, maybe even a few games. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I think that what do they say, sometimes the, and this is going to be kind of harsh, but sometimes the worst players make the best coaches. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned there's so many what ifs. I think you talk about Mountaineer quarterbacks really quickly being kind of out of their era. Major Harris came along about 15 years too early, and I know that really hurt his professional prospects. If he's born 15 years later, he might go down as one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history. Pat White, the same way. You know, NFL quarterbacks get breathed on, and it's a 15-yard penalty. That hit that he took against the Steelers when he was a Dolphin that, frankly, ended his career. If that never happens, and he's he's put in a better chance to succeed, he could have been a significantly better pro. And Mm -hmm. Geno Smith, like you said, gets drafted by the Jets, has the worst offensive line in football, has the butt fumble, gets smashed around, (laughs) whatever. If he gets drafted in the first round like he was supposed to by anybody no offense to the Jets fans that might be listening he goes somewhere and gets a chance as a rookie to compete because they know how good his arm talent is if he ended up anywhere else he could have been a significantly better uh, quarterback in the uh, in the NFL now don't get me wrong the Mountaineers have had successful quarterbacks in the league Mark Bulger's career Mm -hmm. I think is criminally underrated but there's always been what ifs when it comes to uh Pat White, Geno Smith, and Major Harris as well. If their situations had been a little bit different, they would have had better coaching career or uh, playing careers. But you know, their loss is somebody else's gain. Pat White gets into coaching. Yeah. Geno Smith has made like sixty million dollars yeah. and has thrown fifty passes in a game because he's a backup. And Major Harris obviously is uh, a local legend and has carved himself out a nice career in the media and things like that. So things still turned out well. But you're right, just certainly some what ifs when it comes to Mountaineer quarterbacks in the pros. Yeah, I was mixing up. Uh, Pat White and Geno Smith there, who, I mean, arguably had the same NFL career, so uh, easy to mix up. But stick around after the break. Uh, We're going to get Parker's picks. I also want to talk to you about uh, a new rule that they're testing out in the Florida State League uh, to counteract the shift in baseball, which I hate this rule that they're trying to do. So we'll talk about that here uh, in about a minute and a half on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Joining me down from Charleston is Luke Wiggs. And Parker Stone is out at the beach on vacation, but he's still working hard for the Panhandle News Network sports team. Of course, uh, we are used to getting Parker's picks. And, well, apparently Parker has been pretty hot with his picks while he's uh, been out at the beach. And go figure, he's in a state where he can't sports bet. So uh, I guess that's kind of what happens nowadays. But uh, here is Parker giving you his locks and Parker's picks for today. There is absolutely nothing better than sitting out beachside and knowing you went absolutely flawless in your bet picks yesterday. What's going on, Panhandle Sports Live? Parker Stone here, once again live from Kill Devil Hills in North Carolina. And yes, I did go perfect in picks yesterday. My lock of the day was the Toronto Blue Jays over the St. Louis Cardinals. That hit as well as the Miami Marlins beating the Cincinnati Reds and with the win of the Chicago Cubs against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, for today, my lock of the day is going to be the San Francisco Giants 
defeating the Arizona Diamondbacks. Carlos Rodon is going to be on the mound for San Francisco, and I'm really liking that matchup against a struggling Arizona team. Two other picks that I like for you today. Take the Padres over the Tigers. I'm liking that one. Darvish is on the mound for San Diego, and there's a lot of drama going right now with the Tigers. Apparently, they're trying to sell some people off, and that includes the guy that's going to be on the mound for him today, Tariq Skubal. On top of that, I like White Sox over the Rockies, too. The Rockies have kind of surprised me a little bit this season, but I feel like Chicago is going to try and get this rolling and get them closer to trying to clinch up an American League wildcard spot. But again, lock of the day for you if you missed it was San Francisco over Arizona in today's MLB action. Jordan, Luke, hope you guys are having a great time right now holding things down over in the studio with Luke doing the TBT. You guys are doing great. Can't wait to see you guys again soon. Take care. And if you couldn't tell, uh, Parker is down at the beach making all of his bets. But, uh, hey, it's good to hear that the kid's hot even when he uh, can't win any money on it. Maybe he's got somebody up this way uh, putting some bets in for him. Maybe. Uh, and it, Hurricane Parker is coming, not just what you can hear in the background of that video, uh, but the picks as well. I know. You know. You think he could have like stood behind a wall or something there. But uh, I guess you got to get – hey, if you're at the beach, you got to let people know you're at the beach. And the best way to do that uh, is by, you know, hearing – the sounds of uh, the wind going through the uh, microphone on uh, presumably Parker's phone. But, you know, we don't have enough time to really get into it uh, today, Luke. But I saw this thing about the Florida State League. They are starting this pie, it's called a pie slice shift banning experiment. So uh, we can talk about this more at a later date, but I am very much pro shift. I think professionals should be able to hit through a shift and not complain about not having the shift. But this is a way for them to stop the shift. And it's literally a pie slice that the point is at second base and it goes out towards center field. And no players can stand in that pie slice. You have about 10 seconds to respond, Luke. What do you think? Hit the ball to the opposite field. You're a professional athlete. Exactly. See, that's my thing, too. Why are people getting so bad? Why are these pros getting so bad out of shape about the shift? You're a professional athlete. You're making $7 billion. Learn how to hit the ball the other way. I mean, well, we heard it from Juan Soto after the Home Run Derby that he just found out at the Home Run Derby this year that he can hit the other way. So maybe there's a little bit of truth behind that. But uh, that does it for us today on Panhandle Sports Live. I'm out of here for the next couple of days. So, Luke, you have to handle it on your own for a few days once you get back from Charleston. But for Parker Stone, Luke Wiggs, I'm Jordan Icewarm. It's been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCSD, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is next. We'll talk to you soon. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.